Welcome back, everybody. Conrad's Corner. Thanks very much for joining us. Another episode, another wonderful guest. Thank you very much for joining me, Robin Brown. All right, uh, IBI. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about your history, how you got there, what you're taking on these days. Uh, sure. So actually, it's now Arcadis IBI. Arcadis we were IBI. Purchased in okay. September by a large Dutch uh, architecture and engineering firm. So IBI was founded in Toronto in 1976. It's an architecture engineering practice with planning. I am the head of our real estate economics and planning group. So really, the intersection of growth management, municipal finance, real estate, due diligence, all of those sort of things. So most of my clients are private sector. Um, basically, they come to me advice when they have uh, a problem that isn't usual <laughs> and they need a little help solving. So You say that so nonchalantly. <laughs> oh, I'm the intersection of this, 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 this. That sounds like an awful lot. Like that's a lot on your plate. It is. I mean, it kind of came about organically, which is great. Um, I already had certain skill sets and then I just sort of grew other ones. It's also a response to the market, a response to a changing policy context, particularly within Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you have to kind of be prepared to give your clients the advice they need. So you have to stay up on things, but at the same time, you also have to, you know, stay steady in your advice. Yeah. Change in the market you mentioned. So what does that mean exactly? Well, I think, you know, obviously we have sort of almost a post-Greenfield situation in most of the GTA. So people are starting to look at their assets a little differently. So, you know, old, old malls, old suburban office buildings, infill, so sort of looking at old industrial in certain areas. So basically these things that are no longer, you know, they were good asset classes for a mm -hmm. long time. There's a bit of a change, there's a bit of pressure. And so really these lands, especially if they're well positioned are worth a lot more. So suddenly everyone's looking at these. I think the other thing is investments in transit. So, you know, the government has made massive investments on transit. You have the Huron Ontario line in Mississauga. Yep. You have the LRT that'll be coming into Hamilton. Uh, you have all the new sort of subway stations and the GO investments. So obviously when they put that kind of investment in, it really changes the land use because you don't put those in so you can have big industrial buildings. You put those in so they can get ridership and yeah. create vibrant 15-minute cities, transit-oriented communities. So a lot of landowners are sitting on land that they suddenly realize might be transitioning and they're not quite sure what to do because they were, say, an industrial landlord. So they're good at that, but they don't yep. really know how to turn something into mixed use. So a lot of that's was changing in the market and just certain asset classes. I mean, industrial is still very strong. Very hot. We have uh, a number of agents that are, are working heavily these days in industrial vacancy rate below 1% in Vancouver here, just a little bit above that. I mean, it is extremely hot. Are you guys heavily involved in industrial? Yes, we do do. I mean, it's tough because there's not as much land for industrial. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do a lot of work in Caledon. Okay. I'm doing a number of number of sort of due diligence and purchases uh, up there, also in Vancouver, also. Mm -hmm. But I tend to be more on the side of reurbanizing industrial lands that are well positioned. So I'm doing the uh, False Creek Flats in Vancouver. Okay. Which is a former railway line. It's yeah. got a transit station. The St. Paul's Hospital is being relocated there, which is going to really open up a big health hub. And, you know, offer sort of a new downtown in many ways. So working on that, sort of understanding the economic implications of wow. converting that land. That sounds like a massive project. It is. It's got like... What's the timeline on something like that? 
Well, I started working on it in 2016, I think. Okay. So that was just the hospital relocation. So the hospital's under construction, yeah. which is really exciting because normally I don't get to see anything that I work on and get built yet. Um, and so I think probably full build-out is probably 2050. It's a it's four, it's almost 400 acres. 2050? Well, it's 400 acres. Wow. In, in Vancouver. Okay. So, so yeah, IBI is doing the architecture, the engineering, yep. the planning. I'm doing the economics and real estate. Um, big players. You got CN Rails in there. Obviously, the hospital. So it's a, it's a it's a huge city building project for Vancouver. So very interesting because you're essentially creating a, a whole new district. Yeah, yeah, that is an amazing project. I mean, from start to finish, that'll be pretty extensive. I can see now why you're saying you don't get to see them finalized. Yes, yes. Um, 2050. Okay, so that's a, a long term project, heavily involved with municipalities. Um, so day in and day out, what would you primarily be focused on for something like that these days? Probably communicating with the city. You know, mm -hmm. cities obviously are very concerned when massive changes come on, what it's going to mean to their municipal finance. Because, you know, yeah. cities don't have a lot of revenue tools. So they always want to make sure it's going to make sense. It's also going to make sense for citizens. So, like, are we giving enough parkland to make it sort of a livable community? What other community services and facilities are we offering up to the community? Because the city wants this land to be, you know, really well developed because they don't have a lot of land like many cities they've got ocean mountains border so they don't have a lot of places to go so they're really focused on making sure this is a really good idea so i say a bit of hand holding because mm -hmm. you know no one wants to get in trouble no one wants to be told that they built something terrible and yeah. that's that's always a bit of a you yeah. know you see those old olympics where everyone's like that was ugly why did you do that <laughs> so i'd say a lot of it is sort of addressing concerns about the client. Now, I, I work for the, the developers, so yes. I'm helping the city out, making them feel comfortable, but ultimately I'm here to support the, the developers. And so just sort of generally making sure all the questions are answered, making sure everyone's feeling good about it, moving the process forward, I would say is sort of my day-to-day -day is sort of managing bigger projects rather than sort of like when I started, more in the weeds doing the actual work. <laughs> So I'm, I'm thinking back to uh, at SNC when I was there and, and working on some stuff for the LRT and uh, what we were working on. And you say that and everybody's, oh, the LRT. It's, uh, you know, there's all the memes out there and, and we hear a lot about that. But the reality is on these type of projects, you have to be able to pivot. You have to be nimble. They're never fluid. Um, they always change. So in that perspective, it's, it's difficult, I can imagine. And, and your client is trying to stay abreast of everything the, the market changes, the construction cost changes, the inflational costs. Um, how do they handle something like that? Well, I think taking our, we usually advocate for a real estate and market first approach to redevelopment. So ensuring that you, problem is once you've drawn a really pretty picture mm -hmm. and the client loves it. And then I have to come in and say, <laughs> that's a 4 million square feet of office. I don't know if the, the market in Edmonton, you know, or whatever yeah, is going to yeah. take that. So starting with sort of what, where real estate, reasonably is growth going. So, you know, how is the city forecast to grow depending on where you are? So, you know, how many housing units are we anticipated to need? How much square footage of retail are we anticipated to need? So starting from that, so you make sure that you have sort of a good basis and demographics and things like that. So you have a good basis for how you design things. Phasing, also very key, you wanna allow flexibility. Mm -hmm. So often we advocate for picking um, floor plates that can be converted to other things. Mm. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're not building something, you've designed something that can never be anything else, especially when you're talking about a multi-decade build-out. Yeah, yeah. Th things could change. I mean, I don't think any of us predicted the pandemic. And so what that's going to mean for the long term is if you have phases and you've really kind of thought out where things are going, you're going to be okay. 
Same thing, if, if suddenly the building code changes and we can build high density timber frame, are we ready to make that possible adjustment as, you know, I think is the, you know, some of the carbon implications of development are becoming really clear, mm -hmm. you know, are we able to innovate to bring in more sustainable building practices and making sure we're thinking about things, even if we don't know what those are now, just knowing that in the intention is to consider sustainability yeah. throughout the project. Predicting it and, and being able to pivot if you need to. Um, is that something that's a major, major component of what you guys are doing right now is sustainability and, and ESG and things of that nature? I mean, they're, they're key words that we hear more and more recently, but is that important for you guys? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, first of all, it's the right thing to do. But um, beyond that, we're starting to see that it's actually profitable. I mean, mm. people are, are, they think it's important. Um, I think some of them are easier to measure than others. Like I think the E, we, we have all sort of lots of different metrics for measuring the E. The S gets a bit more challenging. Like how do you incorporate social impact into your development? But that's starting to be something that's very popular. Um, there's a community benefits which agreements, which what it'll do is um, a developer will agree into the local community to offer certain things like um, apprenticeships for mm -hmm. local residents, you know, funding schools, putting into the right kind of space, making sure they get what the community needs and having the community part of the whole thing. So yes, I think any good developer yeah. should be using ESG. I think it's, it's fundamental and it, it also is future-proofing your project because you're going to have an environmentally sustainable project that is going to be healthier to live in, work in. You're going to have social impacts. You're going to have social buy-in. So you're going to have a community that likes what you did. Also, it responded to the community. So mm -hmm. therefore, it's also going to be more successful. The G is a little trickier. The yeah. governance thing, I'm not going to say I'm a particularly good expert <laughs> at that. That, one, that gets a little vaguer. But yeah, I definitely am seeing that um, being really important. And also, cities are demanding it. I know that yeah. the city of San Francisco is going to be moving to a 50% reduction in embodied carbon by 2030 in construction. Like, that's going to require radical change. That's going to require the electrification of job sites. No more diesel. Wow. Number one. Uh, different type of cement because yep. they're going to have to use fly ash instead. So you're going to see these things are going to be mandated. And whether it'll be fines or not getting your building permit advanced or you know speedier advancement for other people, it's going to start costing money. So everyone's going to start doing it. It's whether the construction industry can catch up that quickly, I think, is the real question for me. 100%. Whether the construction industry can catch up. To your point, whether there'll be some teeth that kind of enforce it and keep it implemented, um, it will be difficult. But having said that, I agree with you. It is the right thing to do. And I think we're seeing that the trends are going that way. Uh, we had Ray Wong on here a couple episodes ago. You mentioned, uh, you talked a little bit briefly about conversion. Mm -hmm. Are you guys dealing with that? Looking at conversions where it's possible, where uh, converting old, obsolete, outdated office buildings into residential, converting industrial, although industrial is pretty hot right now. But those type of conversions where you're seeing landlords, owners, investors come to you and say, this isn't working for us anymore. We really want to look at a different option here. Uh, I keep hearing a lot about talking about converting office into residential. I have only seen very few projects. I mean, a lot of their floor plates are not set up to yeah. be you know, extremely functional. The only one I can really think of in Toronto is the Imperial Oil Building on St. Clair. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the hallways are extra wide. If they've got heritage on the outside, which that building did, you can't put openable windows. Mm. Uh, you've got to put all the plumbing in the pipe. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's it's costly. Now, however, when you get to a carbon, adaptive reuse is a lot less carbon intensive because you're not rebuilding the building. So, yes, I think there's some interest in retrofitting. 
I think obviously you see in like Liberty, not Liberty Village. Yeah, Liberty Village, you know, some of the stuff, the post and beam that Allied has done. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting Great stuff. Great stuff. You know, yeah, they've turned industrial into office, yep. essentially. How many office buildings are going to flip over to residential? I, I'm not as strong on that. I yeah. think a lot of the sort of low-hanging fruit are suburban office parks. And who wants to live in that? There's no community services. Like, those, the downtown office is still going to do well. Um, so I don't know. I think there's certain. I think there's an opportunity, but I think it's it's smaller than people are hoping. Whereas I see like intensifying suburban malls. I see those kind of things being you know really viable, especially if they're around transit. So it depends on what's around it in many ways. I completely agree. I do think it's a little bit of the buzz right now to talk about that. But as Ray alluded to, and, and you're emphasizing, is just the reality is it's a lot more difficult and more costly than people probably think to, to, well, let's just flip this over. It's office, empty office building. Let's make it residential. A lot more difficult than people imagine. I did see a really interesting project in Edmonton that was actually an old office building they had converted into seniors housing. Ah. Now, so this was more long-term care. Mm -hmm. So having to put less of that infrastructure on kitchens, some of using some of the common areas, but that's a one-off, but it was an interesting project where they had chosen to turn it into sort of a retirement community. So, you know, I, there is options. I just think when people are like, oh, the office is dead, we're just gonna convert them all into residential. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna work. Yeah, and, and again, the office is dead. I mean, that's probably, again, a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I don't think office is dead, to your point. It, people are coming back. It's we're, we're seeing deals that are being done Q1 already that are significantly larger than last year. Uh, I think it's gonna continue to do that. Um, outside of that, uh, what else gets you excited about what you're working on these days? Uh, well, I am the president-elect of Toronto Crew. So yes. Toronto Crew is commercial real estate women. It's a North American nonprofit um, that is about the advancement of women in commercial real estate. Um, women in, I've been in commercial real estate. I previously to joining IBI, I worked at a company called JJ Barnicky, yeah. a commercial brokerage. They are now Cushman. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's a tough slog for women in, in commercial real estate. I will not I will not say it wasn't. I was the only female agent in my office. The only female agent only there. Only female agent. I think there was like maybe three or four across the company. Yeah. Uh, it, was, yeah it was a bit of a boys club, you know. If you didn't go to that frat, play golf, or play hockey with the guys, it was hard, you know. And there wasn't a lot of support for women agents where I thought that a lot of the men took each other under their wings and helped each other out. So right. I was very excited to did join. You, did you get that support? Did you have a mentor at the time that... I work for a team. Okay. So, you know, I had that in a certain way, but ultimately, yeah, I just had to finally realize that no matter how hard I worked, I was never going to, you know, really kill it at sales. So I said, that's fine. I pivoted to consulting, which has been great. Yeah. But I was really excited to join Crew because I really wanted that support early in my career. And at the time, Crew actually had to have like five years experience. So the problem was we lost a lot of people who didn't make the five year. Right. So we've changed that. We've really moved towards, we have a program for high school students okay. called Real Jobs Day where Real okay. Jobs Day? Yes. So okay. it's basically all of the Toronto District School Board brings in their women from their grade 12 programs. We come in for a full day. Uh, it's at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. We teach them about negotiation skills, all the different avenues you can get into commercial real estate. Because yep. at that point, they're making decisions about their education. Absolutely. And just showing them, because no one told me about commercial real estate when I was in high school. Well, I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, you know, certainly it was uncommon back then. How did you get into J.J. Barnicky? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is this a long no, story? No, Do we no, have enough quick, time? It's a quick story. It's a Maybe quick we have story. to extend the podcast. <laughs> um, so I went to U of T and did a BA in political science. Okay. And then I did a master's in history and I was so sure I was going to be an academic. Like right. I was like, I'm going to be a professor or a librarian. 
I hated it. <laughs> and so then, of course, I have a master's degree in history. Yeah. Not exactly no. the most employable thing. No, that's difficult unless you're teaching. Yeah. So I bartended. Okay. And I volunteered a lot. And I met a gentleman who worked at Barnaby. Um, at a volunteer event, and they were looking for an industrial coordinator. So someone who's strong at research and writing, right. which I was. Yep. Nothing about commercial research. Nothing at all. But that was okay, because I can learn really quickly. So I worked, uh, so he brought me into their team, and they did land and industrial sales. So I learned a ton about that. I eventually became an agent, and I worked there for eight years. So Amazing. it was an accident. And then I, during the recession, went back to school, and I went to Toronto Metropolitan, Ryerson, yep. did a master's in planning, just because I was like, I don't like I want to stay in the field, but I needed something a little different. And yeah, yeah and then I just immediately got hired at IBI and have been there and just kind of now I run part of it. <laughs> so yeah. That's amazing. I, I love that story. Um, thinking back on your experience and what it was like being a woman in the real estate industry and in the commercial real estate real estate industry, do you think or do you hope that um, the industry has changed these days? And I'll I'll say that from two perspectives. One, Royal Page Commercial. We, we have the largest woman um, count for, for, bro for brokerages and for agents as well for both on the commercial side. We're very happy about that. We encourage and we try and employ as many from a diversity perspective as possible. But do you think it's changed that women are more respected, more eagerly uh, employed? Are they easily targeted out of university or is it still something that's viewed as a, an old boys club? I'm of mixed opinion about this. I think you do see tranches of women in sort of middle management. The problem is senior management tends to be still this group, and we're and we're losing women mm -hmm. at a certain point, and they're going off in different directions. So I think from a retention perspective, I don't think we're quite doing enough or kind of giving them those role models. I mean, it's it's hard when you're trying to move up and you don't see any women above you. Yes. Because you're kind of going, is there any chance of this? And also... I mean, you know, having, oh, it, it doesn't really matter. That's not what I meant. Like so many times I'll have, you know, even senior management and they'll just be, and I'm just like, they're like, oh, that's not what he meant. I'm like, but it doesn't matter if he meant it. It was rude. And it was just like recently I was on an email chain and they wrote gents and I was the only woman on it. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I> was like, <laughs> and they're like, it doesn't really matter. I'm like, yeah, it did. Because you told everyone that I was the anomaly there. It was like gents. Oh, and Robin. And I was like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think it's I think it's coming along. I mean, I see great women coming up through crew who are scholarship programs for our mentorship. Um Urban Land Institute also does an amazing job of yep. sort of bringing people in. And I think um and I think there's so many avenues within commercial real estate. Like there brokerage is one thing, but yes. there's the landlord side, there's the institutional side, like infrastructure Ontario, mm -hmm. there's the consulting world. So there's just so many opportunities. It's just kind of letting people know that there's so many places you can kind of be involved in commercial real estate and just finding what works for you. And, and some people don't want to just do sales. Some people want to do some other things. So I'm very hopeful. I, I sometimes like, I don't know if you've ever seen the crew, um, crew does a five-year benchmarking study across North America. Okay. And it's just sort of about how much money women make compared yes. to men, how many senior managers and company. And it's, so they've been doing this since 2015. I mean, we're talking nudging the needle mm. by like three, 4%. So when I see that, I go, oh, we're not doing that well. You know what I mean? Like they've been, they do it every five years. And so 2020 wasn't much better than 2015. So I got to say, yeah. Or 2010, sorry, yeah, it was 10 years. I kind of go, oh, we're not doing as well as we think we are. So I think 
we can sort of anecdotally say, oh my gosh, you have all these women, you have the most women brokers, but is it really an egalitarian thing? Are they getting the same support? Are they getting those senior management opportunities? Are they making the same commissions? Are they being supported? So yes, we're doing better. Do I think we're in anywhere close to parity on this? And and that's just talking about just gender alone. I think we'll get into a whole other conversation about other DEI things. So yeah. We're going, but it's just sort of, you can't take your foot off the gas, I guess is what I'm thinking. So in, in keeping that in mind, uh, how does crew try and improve that? I mean, for us specifically, when you talk about, are they getting the same opportunities? Are they seeing the same opportunities? Is it visible? Can they see that? The needle hasn't moved much in the last five, 10, 15 years. Uh, what initiatives are you guys taking on to try and improve that? Well, as I said, starting with real jobs day, so starting the high schools, then we have scholarships for college students that are doing things around commercial real estate. So helping them sort of stay in that field or consider that field because there's free money in there. Uh, We have a mentorship program, which I think is really strong because it helps pair sort of new grads with experienced women in commercial real estate to help them kind of go through those first kind of sometimes bumpy years where you're trying to figure out where you stay. So that's interesting, actually. Let's pause on that for a second. So talk to me a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pairing, so both a formal and informal program. So okay. there's some formal components of the program, and then there is sort of the one-on-one where you kind of talk about what's going on. So it's a year-long program. Okay. And and as I've mentored, it, it, you get back just as much as a mentor because you have a lot of time to reflect on things that, like, you, you know, you experienced. Um, so, yeah, and it's just sort of this year-long program, and it can create quite a good bond. Like, a lot of those people stay in touch. And so that means it's always helpful to have someone, even if they're not in your company. I mean, that's what you always say. You need sort of, you need a champion, you need a sponsor, and you need a mentor. And some of those are in your company and some of those are outside. So it's like making sure women get those things because sometimes when they're an all-male company, they struggle to find a true mentor, a true sponsor, a true champion because, I don't know, sometimes men don't care to they, they're going to help the guy their buddy yeah. out their buddy son yeah. out and so you know it's kind of that sort of thing. yeah the dynamics are different it's it's potentially perceived as a harder ask when it really shouldn't be so and that's great there's also a power dynamic between yes. a young woman and an older man that can be uncomfortable definitely and so you know it's also just sort of getting rid of that because i definitely had that happen to me where i'm like right. oh i thought you were looking out for me no mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. yeah fuck <laughs> so we you know the mentorship program is really great but the other thing is we try to give women a lot of opportunities first of all for leadership because you get to be on the board or a committee, and so you get to lead these things. So it's something you bring back to your company. You say, wow, my gosh, like, look what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, opportunity to speak. We try and make, get women on panels. Like, we really push the, like, uh, you know, the real pack. Yes. To say, you know, do you don't have half women on your panels? Let's give you some women. Here's, here's a woman you should talk to about industrial real estate. So making sure that the women also get opportunities to get advanced in the industry. So it's it's about a lifelong thing. And then just having a support network. We have educational programs on mm-hmm. like negotiation mm-hmm. or we've been doing a lot on DEI recently, which has been great. I and think for those that don't know, DEI is? Diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yeah. Are, and ours is called IDEA, which is inclusion, diversity, equity, and allyship is our committee's work um, because we realize that, you know, we are predominantly white upper class women so really kind of infusing that it's not just about women it's about a large diversity so i think crew does a really good job of both sort of helping women grow um giving them exposure and then giving them things to take back to their company and say look what i'm doing i mean certainly when i became president elected crew of course i went back to my company and was like do you see the industry recognizing me as a woman as a leader in toronto i was like (laughs) like like, oh okay cool you know but it's like it's very important so 
that's sort of some of the things I think crew really does very well um, is just starting from very early and just continuing and helping women throughout their trajectory and their career and where they need it and giving them allies, you know, across the industry. Amazing. It's, it's a phenomenal initiative. I think it's done very well. What's the, what's the size? Uh, so Crew Toronto has about, I think we're at 380 members, but wow. there's 12,000 in North America. 12,000? 12, yes, 12,000. Across North America. Across North America. That's pretty impressive. That's yeah. amazing. We just got Hawaii to join, so I'm hoping the next oh, convention's in yeah, Hawaii. Absolutely. That's where the convention should be. Yeah, exactly. That'd we're be all great. like, oh, Hawaii. And actually, Mexico is now a crew member, and we have a friend's. Uh, crew. So okay. there is sort of... But in Canada, work. is it primarily like in the vetcom cities like Vancouver, yeah. Edmonton, Toronto? Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, yeah. and uh, Nova Scotia just opened one. Okay, so some East Coast. Yeah, that was that Wonderful. just opened. And Montreal, sorry. And Montreal. Yes, yeah, so we have a good contingent of uh, women in, in Canada, which is great. And uh, for those that don't know, and certainly we're going to promote this heavily, heavily within our network, but how, uh, if women are interested, how do they get involved? Sure, you can just... Uh, Google Toronto Crew, um, there is sort of criteria for memberships. You have to be within sort of a recognized industry. So, I mean, it's fairly wide, like planning, brokerage, construction, engineering. Um, if you are a vendor, like if you sell like furniture or everything, there's a special category for you because it's business to business, but we don't want it to be just a sales thing. And yeah. one of the great things about Crew is if you pick up the phone and call any crew member, they will call you back in 24 hours, including people you've never met in your life. Like yeah. I've called people in like New Mexico and been like, I have a question about like parking structures in New Mexico. They're like, hi, yeah, of course. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so that is an asset you cannot, like it's just an immediate introduction. Like it doesn't matter how big they are. You're yeah. just like, hi, I'm a crew member. Can you chat with me? Oh, that's amazing. And I travel for work. So that's always nice. I often set up a coffee with one of the local crew members to tell me a little bit about the market and just yeah. have someone to visit. And it's like, it's great. So yeah. So if you go on to Toronto crew, you can take a look at our applications. Uh, we accept membership year round. Uh, so it's not like you have to apply by a certain time. Uh, we have a new member breakfast that helps you get to know all the committees. I will mm -hmm. say the one great thing about crew. Well, one thing I learned is I joined crew and I didn't really do anything. I just went to the cocktail parties and just stood there with my wine being really nervous. <laughs> And then I was like, nobody's talking to me. Uh, but I did find by joining the committees and like really kind of, because you get to meet sort of eight to 10 people really intimately. And so we yep. have all sorts of committees. I got to know a lot better people. And then like, I got asked to be on the board and then I got asked to be president. So it, they quickly, the minute you, they find out you're a doer, you're going you're gonna to move on. But if you really want to get things out of it, you do have to kind of participate in it. So That's great. No, that's, that's good participation. And certainly I'm so elated to hear that it's grown so widely. Um, Residential, mm -hmm. the consensus has always been that's primarily a woman-dominated sales position, real estate agent position for residential, commercial, more so lately, but wasn't always. Um, do you get a lot of residential focus or do you have primarily just commercial people? No, you can't be a residential agent. You cannot be. Okay, no, good to clarify yeah. that. It is. Uh, you can do multifamily, however. So like if you build, um, if you're in the development industry and you build like residential towers, yeah. we, we call that into the, the commercial realm because it's sort of development. But no, I mean, I think the thing is, uh, I don't, I agree. I'm not sure women always need the leg up in, in residential. I think there's just a different sort of sales technique to that and a different relationship with your clients and buyers. And it's much more personal that can be developed differently. I think it is tougher for women in commercial real estate just to get in and stay in. And so the idea is sort of making sure that women get in and then we keep them in there if 
as long as they like it, of course. But yeah, that's so that's why it's really it's really sort of different than a lot of other organizations. And we do allow men members, so don't. Oh, be you shy. do. We do. Of oh, course. look at that. Yes. For all the gentlemen. Yes, uh, you know, and you know, obviously. We expect the men to be there for all the right reasons and yep. want to support and learn more and help their people out. And we really sort of make sure that, like, you know, we want the companies also to support their women and, and sort of say, you know, that they think is true. So we get great sponsorship from a lot of really big organizations because they see the value in crew for their members. Definitely. And they see the value in sort of investing in the future of commercial real estate and, you know, the new members. What kind of conversion rate, I mean, certainly you probably don't know, but of the ones of the scholarships, of the university days, of the job days, are you converting a lot to actual commercial industry members? We are. We've just started tracking that. So when someone becomes a member, we ask, were you a scholarship winner? Were you a mentor? Did you go to real jobs days? We haven't been tracking it as well as we used to, as well as we should have. But yes, we're definitely seeing people and often, you know, when they're new members are like, I won the, I won the scholarship and, you know, and it means something to them because they thought crew invested in them. Yeah. And so the industry invested in them. So yes, we are doing a good job of retaining those women and making sure that they find a place that's right for them within commercial real estate. Cause it's such a huge field. And it's like, if you don't like, like, I didn't love brokerage, but it turned out I loved consulting and I work on way more interesting things yeah. and I'm way more engaged. I'm like, oh, I didn't have to give up. I just had to kind of pivot a little bit. Well, that's exactly it. It is a massive industry, a massive opportunity. And whereas if you start in sales, I can think back to when I was at Cushman, a lot of uh, the women that we had there that started, in, in they were an in industrial, didn't have a great flavor for it, went to retail. Uh, tended to gravitate a little bit towards that. And then from sales, if they weren't attracted to that, they could go to the landlord side. And now it's, well, you were an industrial agent, you were a retail agent, you've yeah. got sales experience. Now we're going to give you this portfolio. Potentially you're going to work for some of the big players, Oxford, Ivanhoe, Cambridge, Rio Can, Cadillac, Fairview, and you're managing a retail portfolio. And we see that on the landlord side a lot. Certainly that's probably more uh, women dominated, I would suspect, than yeah. on the sales side. No, I think you're right. I think that maybe there's a comfort level in coming in with a portfolio versus like the eat what you kill kind yeah. of mentality of of commercial real estate if you're just strictly in the sales. I see a lot of women also going to the research components. Mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, they're also kind of steered that way. I don't know that that's always choice because that's why I always found people kind of did to me. They're like, oh, you know, it's, this is hard. You might want to consider like, you know, yeah. going into the retail. And I was like, why? Because, you know, they're like, women shop. I'm like, okay, but I don't really, you know. So yeah. I do find it's also, it's not just self-selection. There is sort of a, you know, a little a bit gentle of nudge. a yeah, yeah. nudge towards, yeah. you know, maybe you'd be better at this. And in, instead of just being like, you'll get it, don't worry. Like you do with a young guy. Yeah. And he's like, oh, don't worry. You just hit that phone harder. You're going to get it. Women, they're like, you know, it is tough. Maybe we'll just go somewhere a little easier. And you're like. And if eventually you're like, well, I guess maybe I'll just go over there. It's going to be easier. So I think it's, it, it is, a, it's interesting. And you see women in an office too, but I, I agree. I think the landlords, I think they got it. I think they got how good women could be at it. And they said, oh, heck, we'll take you all. Yeah. And you'll crush it for us. And that's great. And you think about like a company that cares about their bottom line. It's, it's a institutional landlord and they see the value in women. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I, I agree with you. I think there is a little bit of a gentle nudge. Yeah. And uh, maybe it's more uh, subconscious by the person. Maybe yep. it's conscious. I don't know. But either way, you're totally right. The, the, the young guys and the young women are definitely, or at, the, at the time, at least they were treated differently. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully they're not anymore. I know for us specifically, we yep. try and treat everybody equally, same opportunities, 
uh, and and we're seeing the fruits of the labor. It's paying off because the women are, are killing it just yeah. as much as the guys, uh, in some cases more so because of uh, their personality tends to be a little bit more in line with to your point about what you're talking about, being able to adapt, being able to pivot, being able to engage with your clients. Um, hopefully that continues. Uh, what else is crew focusing on? Obviously, as we said, DEI is, is a really important component. Um, after the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm. you know, some of our members, you know, had some serious concerns about how we were going to do something really impactful. And that wasn't just going to be a little black box on our Instagram or something like that. And that, you know, that, that was some painful discussions for a lot of us because I think it was a really big acknowledgement of privilege mm -hmm. and, you know, that things certainly didn't touch a lot of people. So um, eventually a, a committee was done. And one of the things we did to really make sure that we were doing it right is we did a bunch of listening sessions where people could listen in and have discussions about DEI to cut comfortable with the language, to sort of have a safe space to have those discussions and, and hear what people wanted to learn about and what they wanted to do. And that has uh, really fundamentally changed a lot, of our, um, a lot of our programming. We also made sure that someone from our idea committee was in each of the other committees. Mm -hmm. So that they were looking at it at a lens of diversity. So it wasn't simply, we've got this one committee that deals with diversity, because that's not going to help, right? It's about, you know, and, and bringing up new speakers, everyone sort of thinking, not just, oh, I know who to ask. I'll ask so-and-so. We've got them before. They're great. It's like, no, let's give someone else a chance. Let's, let's bring a different perspective in. So, um, you know, very much pushing that. We've also worked with Toronto Community Housing to help um, teach, give some scholarship for young students in STEM yep. for summer, school, yep. uh, summer camps. So, you know, kind of rem remembering like, where this kind of starts and it can't just be sort of, you know, yeah, Black History Month or, or you know, Black Square with George Floyd. It has to be really done well and intentionally. And I think that our 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 members have just really taken that on and, and made sure, and they brought their best practices from their own companies. And then we've also brought our practices to our companies because this is an exchange of information because you've got all, you've got people working at Walmart, you've got people at Quadrille, you've got people like yeah, me. Yeah. And we're all, all our companies are trying to do something. And then we've got this sort of discussion. So it's, it's this give and take about what's working well in our companies, what's working well at Crew, what's working well in other organizations. We've also worked together with sort of the, the Black Architects community and sort of other organizations to kind of talk about it. And I think it's not simply, uh, obviously this is not simply a black and white, it's anti-Asian hate, it's the, the residential schools. It's kind of remem remembering there's a lot of things going on that we have to take, you know, really address and it doesn't, and the big thing I think Crew's been really good at, it doesn't matter if it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, That's not the reason you don't do it. And maybe you're gonna say the not the perfect thing, but it's better you say something. Absolutely, it's and better to have that conversation than so, to not. So I think that is a really big next step for, for Crew is sort of making that. And also, also building a bit of our Canadian uh, connections. Cause you know, if you're a Crew member in Toronto, it's unlikely I'm gonna move and get a job in Ohio. I'm probably gonna get a move and job in Vancouver. Yeah. So making sure that if we want to support women in those kind of big jumps, yep. with, you know, national portfolios, that you're going to have that sort of larger connection and network. So, you know, kind of doing a bit of that strengthening too. So, you know, if, if I do decide to take a job in Edmonton, I have a couple of people I can talk to about the company yeah. that I'm going to. I'll know a few people and be connected already. So you can kind of give that, which I think is really fundamental. It's really fundamental. It's great that you have that and the ability to have some familiarity. They can make a call and ask somebody and, and open arms. 
Uh, phenomenal. Back to your discussion on on having uh, talking about causes and things that are important. I think that's phenomenal as well. Congratulations on that work. That's really good. I know for us at Royal Page Shelter, our shelter program is, mm. is really a big one for us, and it is uh, it's it's really important. And not only that, it's a differentiator as well. It opens up a lot of doors for our agents and for our our team, basically. But um, it's an important discussion to have. It really is. So that's great that you guys are focusing on that. I mean, I'm going to have to talk to you a little bit about, <laughs> about shelter and get some help for you on that and yeah, be, yeah. be able to talk to crew about that. It's phenomenal. Uh, great work. Uh, before we wrap up here on a personal level, what, uh, what do you do for fun? What's, what's exciting for you these days? Well, because I don't have enough to do in my life, yeah. I am currently attending the London School of Economics. Okay. I am doing my master's in cities. Uh, so this is actually my third master's degree. Um, so it is an international master's program based for professionals. So mm -hmm. it's an executive master. So there's 24 students who are from all over the world. I'm the only Canadian. Wow. Um, so I go periodically. I'm leaving next week. And oh, this isn't remote. You actually no, you go. No, this actually go. Oh, my. Fun. So you go for these sort of blocks of modules. We solve real-life problems right now. The reason I know so much about San Francisco is we're doing embodied carbon. We're helping them put together a program for that so that you have group projects in real-world situations. We all talk about our city's challenges. There's so many commonalities but differences because this is the whole world. So you've got the CEO of Dubai's economic development. He's like, well, this, my city's only 40 years old. And I'm like, totally different challenge yeah. than the guy in India who's talking about aging infrastructure and the person in Toronto or Chile, affordable housing. Affordable housing, problem everywhere. That's one thing <laughs> I've learned. Um, so I'm doing that. It, it's great. Um, so it's a series of classes till June. Uh, and then I do a consultancy project, yep. uh, either within my own company or within a client. I'm just negotiating that right now. So I don't have a whole lot of other time. I'm going to lie between crew, IBI, and LSE. I am very busy, but I'm yeah. very passionate and I'm learning so much. I'm going to bring so many great practices to my practice. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. Uh, definitely sound like you're very, very busy <laughs> and accomplished. So congratulations Thank on you. that. And third masters. Wow. So uh, we are very happy that you made time for us today, oh, being wow. as busy as you are. <laughs> I really was happy to get you on this. I really sure. want to talk about crew, IBI, and where you see the trends going and the focus specifically for women in the industry, which is so important to us. So thank you very much for joining. For everybody who watched this episode, again, thank you. Subscribe, like, share, and we hope to bring you more wonderful guests like Robin. Thanks, everybody.